Welcome to EGN Leadership Conversations, the untold secrets of the C-suite. I will be speaking with industry leaders on hot and trending topics. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to an exclusive edition of EGN Leadership Conversations. Today we have with us innovation leader Tom Goodwin. Uh, Tom is the co-founder of innovation consultancy All We Have Is Now. Tom is, however, much more than just an entrepreneur. Tom has spent over 20 years studying topics such as the impact of new technology, changing consumer behavior, and trends in digital marketing, and as such is regarded as one of the experts in his fields. He's also the author of Digital Darwinism, a business book that explores the current digital transformation in business. And I've just finished reading the book myself, and I can highly recommend it. And we'll today jump in a little bit into the book as well. Uh, Tom is also a much sought-after public speaker, and he's currently actually in Asia, where he's uh, working with companies and giving some talks. And we also have the pleasure of welcoming him in Singapore next week, which we also will talk about. And Tom has spent uh, much time educating audiences all over the world on digital transformation and innovation. And it is with great pleasure we are welcoming him today. Tom, awesome to have you here. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show, Nick. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, and so are we. It's, uh, the event is already sold out for next week in Singapore, so everyone is excited. You're the, you're the name on everyone's mind, Tom. <laughs> that makes me feel slightly <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, so let's jump into it then. And you have been critical of the traditional education system and how it doesn't adequately prepare students for the future. What changes do you think need to be made on the education system and how can technology play a role in these changes? Yeah, um, I always sort of don't like the word critical because it, it sort of comes with it a, a sense that I've been curmudgeonly about it or, or sort of miserable. Um, I think education is the most important thing we can ever have on the planet. Um, everything to do with, uh, you know, social inequality. Um, our, our biggest sort of dr driver to individual and collective success is education. And my parents were both teachers, so I care a lot. And I think um, a lot of the world is still created for the needs of the industrial age. Um, a lot of education is built around this idea uh, that people should be the most similar to each other. They should be sort of like cogs in a machine where if, you know, one person sort of burns out or if their arms fall off or something, you know, you can find someone that, that looks a bit like them and stick them in the machine. Um, we kind of need to do the opposite. Um, you know, I'm not going to talk about AI that much. I, I, I don't think on this because people keep on talking about it, but we need to learn the things that make us um, amazing and most human um, we need to sort of focus on things that machines can't easily replace. Um, a bubble out sort of creativity, which is obviously quite a big cliche, um, but also just things like skills for life. You know, we, we have at our disposal all of these tools um, that connect us to each other. There's never been a more important time to be empathetic, uh, to sort of build really deep and meaningful relationships with each other, to learn how to trust each other. And I think um, it, it's not that we need to take the same curriculum and change it slightly. Uh, it's not that we need to, um, you know, give out people uh, an iPad and teach them how to code. It's that we need to really rethink what education is. You know, if it's there to allow us to lead uh, a successful, abundant, happy, uh, well-balanced, um, sort of relaxed, um, proportionful life, uh, then we probably need to teach people quite different skills and the entire curriculum should be changed as well. 
Yeah, and, and Tom, we were just chatting just before we started recording here today that uh, about social media, but also all the communication platforms. And, and for me, you know, living and working here in Southeast Asia, traveling different countries, I, I traveled from Singapore this morning, arrived in Malaysia today, and I'm going to be in Thailand by the end of the week. And, you know, every country is communicating in a different channel. And as I read your book, yeah, I can recall that you actually wrote that you, you used to wake up to 50 emails. And now how many inboxes do you have? Oh, yeah. No, like hundreds. And, and uh, the mental burden of thinking, I know I've had a message somewhere, but I can't remember where they were. You know, uh, and there are certain people where, you know, you have a sort of line inbox and a, a Viber link, uh, inbox, a LinkedIn inbox, and you just lose all track of all these threads. I think it becomes quite stressful. Yes, it does. And, and I, also, I also saw in one of your articles, you discussed the downsides of social media and so on that is contributing to mental health issue. Do you believe that social media companies should be accountable for the negative impact it has on the users? Uh, I'm not sure. I think, um, you know, broadly speaking, I think regulation is a very clumsy tool and something we should use last. Um, I, I'm a really big believer in understanding these problems more. Um, I think this technology in all forms has entered our lives very quickly. Um, and we've default to saying yes. Um, and companies have done a very good job of, of monetizing quite human sort of carnal instincts. And I don't think these companies are evil. I just think they haven't been um, equipped with the right staff to ask the right questions. And the monetization model has always made them sort of tweak around optimization, uh, which means sort of pulling on some of our brain chemistry in quite a, a damaging way. I, th I think the most important thing is that we have a significant um, body of research carried out in different countries by different people um, that starts to look at everything that technology means for us, um, whether it's the quality of the media environment, whether it's the way that social media networks um, spread misinformation, often accidentally, um, whether it's um, the age at which kids should have access to these devices. I think we need to undertake a, a program of understanding um, who has responsibility, how the sort of details of this change manifest themselves, I think is less interesting. I think the main thing is we need to be realizing, you know, are these things a force for good entirely? Are they um, wonderful, but need some constraints? Um, are they actually quite damaging in ways that we haven't thought about yet? We need to be asking these questions. Yes, I agree. And I also think we need to have that personal discipline around ourselves and perhaps our teams and our family or even our friends who we communicate with to manage the expectations. And, and I think we, we had that happening between us, Tom, where, you know, some people prefer email, others prefer WhatsApp message. And some you cannot just expect that everyone will uh, be waiting in, in that inbox of your preference. We need to perhaps just agree, yeah. okay, for this project, let's communicate in this channel. And then everyone is at least on the same page. Yeah, and, and default to places where people have a time to think rather than immediate. I think, um, you know, my, my concern with a lot of text message based things is that everything probably has a notification. You know, that means even right now while I'm doing this podcast, you know, there'll probably be people trying to get my attention. And it, it's OK to be slow and thoughtful um, rather than fast and thoughtless often. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, by the way, we had uh, Women's Day being celebrated quite heavily in Singapore last week. It was all over social media and so on. And of course, then both the pros and the cons of these movements uh, come always forward. And it's always a discussion. Is it going too far? And I just have to look back, Tom, a few years ago when I 
it came to Singapore about five, six years ago. Then it was about 5% of the women were on boards in Singapore and they put down, you know, let's target if we can get up to 20% on the board. So there was a big driver uh, in that space. And I know you've also been quite vocal about the lack of diversity in the tech industry. What do you think companies can do uh, to improve diversity and inclusion? And why do you think this is important? I mean, it's important because it's just the better way to do business. You know, when you have a, a huge diversity of, of people on a project, it makes it much harder, um, but it makes the output much better. Um, I worry that companies and institutions and society as a whole is doing this for quite reactive, superficial reasons. You know, I think a lot of companies are doing it because they're supposed to rather than because they want to. Um, so I, I think we need to go through a, a sort of reckoning where we really understand the nature of this um, and quick solutions, you know, stuff that looks a little bit like affirmative action is probably not the right way forward because we probably create a degree of um, antagonization. Um, we probably create a degree of, mis of distrust. There's probably a sense that people are not doing it for the right reasons. We need this change to happen in a much more deep way, you know, where we start to change the way the institutions, um, you know, help people's careers early on. We need to make sure that people's attitudes and their aspirations are quite different from a young age. Um, and above all else, and this is where it gets quite tricky, because um, these issues are very charged, um, we need to really understand the full width of diversity. Um, and that includes areas that people don't really like talking about because they're complicated, um, like class. You know, like these days, it would be far, far, far easier, um, you know, from a woman from a, a very sort of high um, power, high class background, you know, in Argentina or Brazil. It would be much easier for them to get a great job um, than it would be for someone who's a sort of market trader, but male um, you know, from Iraq, for example, because one counts as a sort of uh, a country where um, we need to be recruiting more from and a place like Iraq doesn't count as being a diversity um, higher. So we need, we need much more intelligent and thoughtful and well-intentioned conversations about this, which are about long-term improvement and making sure we have a full width of opinion, different personality types um, and different backgrounds in all senses. Um, and we sure we we should be sure that we're creating an environment which is helpful for everyone. You know, like maybe it's um, maybe it's okay that not everyone has um, identical situations. Maybe it's about making sure that people have access to the best thing that they want to do. Yes, absolutely. And I also read some articles now. People are saying, is this inclusion movement, you know, the next greenwashing? Uh, those are the kind of <laughs> questions that are asked. And, yeah. and also, by the way, uh, again, today I'm in Malaysia and we have a meeting here with our top leaders in Kuala Lumpur tomorrow. And ESG and sustainability and inclusion is not something that is in the top 10 agenda here. <laughs> if we're looking in Singapore, that's in top three, yeah. you know. So it's also, again, you travel, you travel 40 minutes by plane, it's a completely different conversation. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, it's fascinating. And again, we would do a better job probably by trying to bring broader change to the entire world, rather than trying to get extreme change in some places and let other uh, entire regions, you know, behave in very sort of backwards ways. Absolutely. And and also, uh, Tom, many times you, you perhaps have been uh, criticized and sometimes praised for your attitude, which some people even uh, called uh, not give a shit attitude. But even though that doesn't resonate with me, I'm Swedish, so I'm pretty straightforward, you know, straight shooter <laughs> as well. So I, I don't I find you perfectly sensible. Uh, what, what do you think about the, uh, the criticism you receive sometimes? 
I, I think a lot of times people don't read what you write um they read what you what they think you wrote um and then they interpret from that what they think you were saying um i think often people fill in the gaps i think people often read things without realizing the tone um i can sort of look in a mirror every night uh, not that i do and sort of be okay with who i am and the intentions that i have um, I think sometimes social media sort of distorts things. It puts people in in sort of filter bubbles. It creates a sense of hysteria. Um, and realistically speaking, as a planet, um, we have some really significant problems that we don't tend to focus on. Um, we have others that we probably think about too much. Um, if you ever go through the act of pointing this out or asking questions or getting people to think, you know, people are very very sort of able to take offense. Um, we've sort of forgotten really that there's two parts to offense. There's one which is um, giving it and there's the other which is taking it. And these days people are able to take offense without really someone giving it. Um, and then the burden of proof goes on to the person um, whose words were possible to get um, offense from. Um, and I think we probably need to sort of toughen up a little bit, really. I think um, we would all do better to sort of take a bit of time off social media, to scan the world, to look at things in a sense of perspective, um, be less um, quick to, to judge others, um, be more sort of calm and be more sort of generous spirited. Like assume if there are two ways to look at what someone's written and one is a way to take offense and the other is to assume they misspoke or that they meant well, but... Um, it seems in the wrong tone at this moment in time. I think we should sort of defer to um, respect and assuming good intent. Yeah, and that, that's a fair point, Tom. And I also see that you talk often about uh, it's the era of asking powerful questions. So if someone is reading yeah. this and they are responding, they should ask themselves a question before they reply, right? The way that we solve the really big problems is to ask really, really deep, powerful, difficult questions. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about an example now, which is easier to talk about. Um, you know, I quite like to talk about the rising level of obesity in the world, but it's deemed something you can't really talk about. Um, if you really wanted to talk about diversity in a, in a profound way, it would involve asking questions that people would find uncomfortable. Um, but guns would be a good example. Like if we're going to solve guns in America, you know, you don't solve them by putting up ads saying guns are bad. Um, that's a superficial solve. You, you ask really interesting questions. Why do people own guns? What's that really about? You know, how does the history of America mean that people define themselves through gun ownership? What do we do about trust? You know, what do we do about um, paranoia? In, in, the, in the process of solving guns, which is a very hard thing to do, you'd have to ask questions that people would find very uncomfortable. Um, and we need to operate in an environment where we understand in order to understand things enough to solve them properly, we need to ask questions which some people can take offense from. I, I absolutely love that. And that's what we do here at EGN, where, you know, the peer network we have is confidential. We have a moderator to facilitate them. Yes. And it's all about asking questions and sitting around the table and discuss it instead of going around the back of fight to get emotional about things. Yeah. <laughs> And we need more of that in the world. I mean, your Swedish roots, I think, prepare you very well for very sophisticated conversations about the things that matter. So we will hope so. And 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 Tom, <laughs> um, about your uh, advertising, then uh, you have been 
talking about the advertising agency model, which you claim is broken, what do you see as is the future of advertising and how can companies stay relevant in this increasingly crowded and competitive marketplace? And especially now with inflation, perhaps uh, recessions and maybe even a depression around the corner. So this might be a timely question to ask. Yeah, um, these things are quite hard to answer quickly, but in short, um, uh, the digital era has given us amazing devices and amazing tools. Um, we now have the mobile phone, which is probably the best thing for advertisers you could ever imagine. Uh, you, you couldn't invent something better. Um, we've tended to use things the wrong way. We've tended to sort of assume that because we can micro-target people that we should, uh, because we can get people to click on something, then we should do that immediately. Um, we should sort of use computers to A-B test headlines and then optimize against that. We kind of need to go the other way, really. Um, we need to think of advertising as being the sort of delicious um, communication of one or two tiny things that over time um, help people make decisions. Uh, we need to sort of focus much more on building brand messages, on speaking to a wider audience, creating ads that people like, but creating ads that are seductive or persuasive rather than aggressive. Um, but above all else, we need to make it easy for people. I think um, people are quite overwhelmed at the moment. They don't want 150 different ways to book a flight. They just want one that works. Um, people don't want to see advertising for products they like and then click on a page to find out more or to join the movement or to have a conversation. They just want to buy stuff. Um, you know, make it easy for people to understand what you offer, make it easy for people to buy, make it easy for people to buy again. Um, I think there's a lot of people overthinking this. Yes, and it is over cluttered and it's also a very difficult environment. There's so much new technologies the whole time and uh, even people are still asking me uh, today, what is chat GPD? People are just trying to catch <laughs> up. And, and if we're looking at that, it's only existed since November, if, if I'm right. And how do you see new technologies like chat GPT change the world? Um, it's early days. Um, in short, it will be about how we integrate them. Um, people tend to think that digital transformation happens because a remarkably profound technology sort of arrives and then we sort of open up a box and then somehow we use it uh, and then everything's different because the technology was sophisticated. Um, it, it's not like that. Like digital transformation can be about very boring or simple things. Um, you know, cloud computing is quite boring. APIs are quite boring. It's about where you apply them. It's about going to the very core of a business um, and using it to sort of rethink some of your processes. Um, so I think probably the next three years we'll see ChatGPT help a little bit. You know, like when you've got like a, a tricky email that you can't be bothered to, to, to reply to, you can use it. Um, if you can't think of really good headlines, you can use it. Realize they're not very good, the ones that come out and then improve them. Um, but I, I'm sort of different to most people. I think the next sort of two or three years won't actually see that big a change. Um, it will be after that. It will be when people set up companies going, you know, it used to be inefficient to create, you know, personalized um, welcome messages in high class hotels. You know, now we can actually use it to render out perfect sort of agendas and programs for people's four day holiday in this resort. Uh, and we can make more money by getting people to book things they didn't before. It will probably be the depth of integration and creation of things that have never existed before. 
Right, and so many people, of course, get scared when they read all the news about that. Then they read about automation. The first thing they think about is that, oh, I will lose my job. The robots are taking over and so on. And in your book, Digital Darwinism, you are talking then about how companies need to adapt to the changing landscape of technology. But then uh, on the other hand, you get criticized for this approach where people are saying that you're encouraging them, perhaps companies to prioritize profits over people. How do you respond to this? Um, generally speaking, these things are quite easy to reconcile. Um, people love to sort of pit things against each other. You know, you're either good for the planet, you know, or you make money. Um, you're either good for employees, um, or you make money, or you make better things. Actually, like making better things, having staff that are um, happier, having customers that are happier, making more money, being good for the environment, they, they pretty much all work very well together. Not always, but, but most of the time it's possible to do that. Um, technology is a lever that allows us to do more. Um, and management consultants generally look at that and think, great, you know, this means that we can get the same output um, with this lever and put in less. Um, you know, we can outsource customer service to a GPT chatbot. Um, we can find a way to um, dynamically create headlines without a human looking at it. I, I personally believe in the opposite, which is let's keep the level of human involvement the same. Um, and make something better. And by making something better, let's make more money. And when we make more money, we can then pay those people better, you know, put them on better training courses, put them in a nicer environment, um, get them to do things which are even more human and even more um, interesting. Um, and let's have the technology be the thing that, that sort of makes everything magically more possible. Um, that's a sort of vague answer, but um, I, I think these things can work for the good of everything. That's what you're working on now, right, Tom? With your consultancy, all we have is now you're focusing on helping companies navigate this landscape of technology. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more on what you're doing and working on these days? Yeah, I mean, in, in short, um, technology has created a whole new canvas of opportunity. Um, it means that companies can do things they've never um, believed they could or never could do before. Um, at the same time, it creates some existential threats. Um, not every company is in an existential threat. Most, most are not. Um, but I try to proactively help companies do more with technology in a way that makes them more money um, through better products and services. Um, typically, that happens by problems. You know, people will write to me saying, I've got a problem with this. How do I solve it? Um, but ideally, it works around opportunities. You know, if you're a telco, and we now have 5G, you know, what can you do with it? Um, if you're making buildings as a construction company and we now have 3D printing, uh, what should we do about it? Um, it's about the newly possible. Right. And I also know that you're working uh, basically on the workplace culture and so on, and uh, you're trying to support vulnerability and open communication. And this is something that is close to home for me. That's uh, something that I'm studying and also in my next book here I'm writing will be on vulnerability. Uh, perhaps you can uh, also elaborate a little bit for what you're working on in, in, the, in this space. Yeah, I think um, it, it sounds a little bit um, difficult to talk about this, but I think um, people are very scared. Um, I think the world has trained people over the last 15 years um, that what they thought they knew before wasn't true. The things that got them where they are now won't get them to the next place. Um, that technology will eat their jobs. That cost cutting will mean their company will go bankrupt. 
Um, and I don't think that's particularly true. Um, that's not to say that technology isn't fast, but it's always been fast. That's not to say that some companies won't go bankrupt, but some companies always have. Um, and when they do, people normally get better jobs. Um, I think we need to keep everything in proportion. And I think we need to realize that if you are scared, um, hiding is not a great thing to do. It's a very natural thing to do, but it's not a great thing to do. If you're scared, you should probably take more risks. Um, you should probably um, involve yourself in more um, ongoing learning. Um, you should probably build more relationships. You should probably um, almost do the opposite to what you naturally want to do. So rather than going small, go big. Um, you know, try things, uh, learn from failure. Um, get out there and sort of explore the world, try and take a step away from your job and try and see things in perspective and realize that most of the things that people worry about are actually the wrong things and the things they should worry about are probably things they never thought about. And we hear about the busyness trap now, especially in this post-pandemic <laughs> world. People are just in endless yeah. to endless meetings, right? And it, as I also read that you're talking about that it kills the creativity and people are just going with the flow. And how, how can we grow a business if people are in that mindset? Yeah, I think um, it, it's incredibly easy for me to sound deeply irritating and wildly out of touch. Um, but generally speaking, people, you know, that we have a culture of inbox zero. You know, if I can just reply to every email quickly, I'll be fine. Um, we need to do our jobs better, not more quickly. And there's an incredible amount of bravery that this takes. And I'm not going to um, underestimate that. But we sort of need to go from being order takers um, to executives or managers or directors. We need to realize that sometimes our job is to say no to something. Um, in most of my career, I've got into trouble for telling clients that they shouldn't do something they were about to give us money to do. Um, and without sounding arrogant, I think I've been right almost every time. You know, companies trying to get us to build them an Apple Watch app. Um, companies trying to, you know, get us to write like a Web3 strategy. Um, people need to focus on the things that really, really matter. And most of the time, that's a wildly small number of things. Um, Apple is probably quite a good example of this. Think about all the things they could be doing and they say no to. I think individually we should every day have a sense of two things that you're trying to get done that really, really matter. Um, every day think of all the things that are busy work, that get in the way, that distract you, um, initiatives, you know, new sort of projects. Focus on the things that, that matter. Focus on making meaningful progress towards them. Um, and if you do the things that matter, you, your job is very safe. If you get a reputation for people who, you know, as being the person that makes things come to life, you know, the person that actually ships things, the person that actually makes the ballsy decisions, um, I refuse to believe that you won't have a brilliant and abundant career. And I love that. And Tom, we're almost coming to the end today, so we can have some quality time also for other things. But, <laughs> and, and this really links me in also to the last question then. So let's look at the EGN business model that we are running here in, in Southeast Asia. We are arranging confidential peer group meetings. It's six times a year for half a day, scheduled one year in advance. So people can block these times away to break out of this business trap and really sit around the table with like-minded, either in an entrepreneurs group or in a senior executive group where you can 
discuss your challenges and your struggles and so on and get solutions to them. What we find now, though, after uh, the pandemic here is the attendance is down about 50%. People are just not able to break away from Zoom and leave the office. So they're just working around the clock. And, and I, uh, I always say to, to the members, you know, you got to go uh, to the barber if you want a haircut. And it's the same here, <laughs> according to me, with networking and building relationships. Doing this in a hybrid world was a plan B when the pandemic was there. But now we have to get around the table again and have these discussions. What do you think, Tom? No, I mean, I, I, I completely agree that in-person work for things like this is essential. Um, there is something miraculous that happens when we meet. I'm not a particularly extroverted person. I'm quite introverted. So I don't sort of like doing things in person, but I realize it's really good for me. And I think a lot of what we see at the moment, I think uh, people's social skills have atrophied. Um, like a lot of people with incredibly high powered jobs who I met during the pandemic, you know, we're starting to cancel quite a lot of uh, personal or business events because they just don't know how to like greet people anymore. They don't know how to do small talk. They don't know what to say if they're stuck in an elevator with someone for, for 10 seconds. And I, I think people are being a bit lazy. Um, so people need to sort of get out of this mindset of making life easy and focus on doing things that actually they find quite sort of challenging. Um, I, I think the, the, the remote work world has sort of turned our jobs more into going through a system of, of actions you know people it's almost like people sort of jobs are some sort of weird extremely boring online game you know where their job is to reply to emails and to join a zoom call for an hour then to do more emails and join another zoom call for an hour people's jobs are to get the things done that they need to do and often that involves fewer meetings and more decisions and fewer emails and ignoring emails and it means meeting up with people and it means having that difficult conversations and I think we probably need a sort of campaign uh, to get people to prioritize different things, uh, prioritize doing the hard things, prioritize doing things that matter, prioritize building relationships with other companies, prioritize meeting key experts that can help you, uh, prioritize uh, mental health and prioritize having a sense of perspective. Fantastic. I love that, of course, Tom. And finally, here today, I would really love to thank you uh, for being with us today on the show. And we're looking forward to meeting you in person in Singapore next week as well. And just finally, Tom, uh, if someone here in Southeast Asia would like to work with you, how can you help them and how can they contact you? Yeah, I, I can basically anyone that's trying to grow their company by doing something that involves solving a problem or doing something new because of technology and how it's changed the world, I can probably help. Um, my LinkedIn is Tom F. Goodwin. I think if you go to the search bar and type in Tom F. for Freddie Goodwin, you can find me. Uh, my website is allwehaveisnow.co. Um, uh, and yeah, yeah, look at my stuff, see if you like me, maybe think about buying my book. Um, uh, and hopefully I can make you think a little bit. Wonderful. I can recommend the book indeed. I just finished reading it. A great read. Uh, so, Tom, thank you so much. Any final remark? Anything you want to leave with the listeners before we let you go? Uh, no, I'd say thank you for this, Nick. It's been great. Um, I don't know, be optimistic. You know, now does not feel like a perfect moment in time. Um, but in all honesty, when would you rather have been born? You know, was there a moment 100, 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 years ago that would have been better to be born? I think not. It's not perfect, but our lives are probably pretty good. Let's make them a little bit better. Fantastic. And all you have is now. Thank you so much, Tom. All the best. <laughs> have a good one. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to EGN Leadership Conversations, the untold secret of the C-suite.